It's a pleasure to be here with you this evening. And you know what? God is good. And we are not going to let the devil put a stop to the work that God has in store for for us this week. Amen? I can guarantee you, based on what has happened leading up to this weekend, and even what's happened here tonight, we can know that God has a special plan in store for this weekend. Amen? Amen. And so it is my privilege to be with you tonight. I've never started a sermon at 9.30 at night. Um, I've never preached in the dark. But you know what? God is going to provide the strength and the power, and we are going to receive a blessing tonight. Amen? Amen. Before we start, I would like to open with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, you are so gracious to us. You have brought us here to Camp Belandra for a weekend together. We've come from all over Trinidad and Tobago for messages to help us be prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ. We want to redeem the time, and I pray, Lord, that this weekend you would help us to gain an experience with you that will prepare us for your coming. This is my prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you believe that Jesus is coming soon? I truly believe that we are living on the brink of eternity. Do you know why you came here this weekend? Why is it that you came to Belandra this weekend? I can guarantee you that God has a plan for why you are here. You're not just here to have a nice social time with your friends. God brought you here because he has messages in store for you this weekend that are going to challenge your faith to prepare you for the coming of Christ. You know, we don't have much time left in this world. And we don't have much time left to mess around with with God anymore. Amen? Amen? God wants to use us to do a special work in the last days. And my question to you tonight is, do you know who you are as a people? Do we understand who we are as a Seventh-day Adventist people? We have a prophetic identity and a prophetic mission that goes with that identity. Do you know what that identity is? Do you know what that mission is? Are you living your lives to fulfill the identity and mission that God has given to us prophetically? You know, as we look to the future to see what will happen as the final events of Earth's history come to their close, the way to understand what will happen is to look back to our history. And I'm reminded of the quote from Life Sketches, page 196, by Ellen White, where she says, we have nothing to fear for the future, except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our past history. You know the thing that we often overlook in that statement? Is his teaching. 
will say God has led us in the past, but we forget the teachings that he used to lead us along the way. And God has a message that he has for us today, and he has given us a history that helps us to know what will happen in the future. And the, the title for my message tonight is The Midnight Cry and the Loud Cry. Do you know what the midnight cry is? And do you know what the loud cry is? And do you know they're not the same thing? What we're going to look at tonight is the midnight cry and the loud cry. And we are going to start off in Revelation chapter 10. How many of you know Revelation chapter 10? Say amen. amen. Revelation chapter 10. It's, I guess it's hard to turn in your Bibles without light. <laughs> so I'll read it for you. Revelation chapter 10 is the chapter in the Bible that identifies us as God's people prophetically with what our message and mission is. And in Revelation chapter 10, verse 1, we read, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire, and he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. Do you know who the mighty angel is? The mighty angel that came down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, a rainbow on his face, head, his face as the sun, his feet as pillars of fire. If you go to Revelation chapter 1, the very same description you find of Jesus Christ. So here you have in Revelation 10, Jesus Christ coming down from heaven as a mighty angel to start a new movement. And he starts this new movement with a little book in his hand. Do you know what that little book is? This little book, which is open, is the book of Daniel. And specifically, it is the prophecy of the 2300 days that had been sealed till the time of the end. Now, if you don't understand all of that prophetic um, understanding, I encourage you to keep studying to understand that. But what happened was, after 1798, when the time of the end began, Revelation 10 comes into history prophetically as Jesus, as the mighty angel, comes down from heaven and says, the book of Daniel is open to be studied. And do you realize that we are the only denomination that understands the message in the book of Daniel? And do you realize that the message in the book of Daniel and the message in the book of Revelation gives us our prophetic identity and mission? And do you realize that Jesus himself, as the mighty angel, is pointing us to the study of these prophetic messages so that we will understand our identity which will drive our mission as a people? And it is too late in earth's history to be ignoring the study of prophecy just before the coming of the Lord. It is time to get down into the books of Daniel and Revelation, to open them up, to dig deeply so that we will know what God's message is for our time. And I can guarantee you one of the reasons why the devil is fighting so hard with the power and everything else that's happened today, he doesn't want this message where we understand our prophetic mission and identity to be understood. 
So what we are hearing tonight is of critical importance, and I'm so glad that each one of us are here. Do you realize what happened with, the, with Revelation 10? Revelation 10, as this book was opened, do you realize that there was a point in history where the books of Daniel and Revelation began to be understood by God's people? Who were the people that studied the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation and came to an understanding of the 2300-day prophecy to understand a prophetic identity and mission? Do you know who that is? Have you heard of the Millerite movement? Revelation 10 describes the rise of the Second Advent movement through the Millerites. Did you know that? Notice what happens in verse 8 of Revelation chapter 10. John is listening to the angel speak to him. In Revelation 10 verse 8 it says, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. Do you know what that's talking about? That is the great disappointment. What I'm going to show next is the history of the great disappointment. And I would dare say that the story that, I am, that I'm about to tell you with respect to the great disappointment is a story that many of us do not really understand. And I hope that as you hear it tonight, it will instill within you a desire to have this kind of experience for yourself. <clears throat> In the 1840s, 1830s and 40s, William Miller was a man used of God who studied the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. And William Miller came to the understanding, even in the 1820s, that Jesus would come and the year about 1843. And that was about 20 years away when he first discovered this. Now, how would you feel if you were led in the study of Scripture by the Spirit of God and you came to the understanding that Jesus was really going to come in your lifetime? Do you know what it did to William Miller? It gave him overwhelming joy because he realized that his dearest and best friend would be coming to take him home. And he kept studying, and he kept studying, and he kept studying, and he started to preach these messages to the churches in his area. And I'm not going to give you the whole story. But he started preaching for nine years. He went all over New England preaching that Jesus was coming around 1843. He began this preaching in 1831. And something very interesting happened in 1840. He was invited to one of the largest cities in the United States, to Boston, Massachusetts, where he preached at one of the largest churches in Massachusetts. The pastor of that church, his name was Joshua Himes. William Miller preaches that Jesus is coming in about three years. 
And Joshua Himes was blown away. And after the sermon, he said to William Miller, do you really believe this? And William Miller said, absolutely. Why else would I be preaching this? I've been doing this my, my whole life for the last nine years. I've given my whole life to this. And so Joshua Himes said, well, look, you're only one man, and I'm going to do everything I can to put all of my time, energy, and resources into the proclamation that Jesus is coming very soon. And that's what happened. And you know, it's very interesting. I wasn't planning on telling this part of the story, but Joshua Himes frequently, as a Millerite preacher, was confronted with what we have here tonight. There was no light, and he would go into the midst of the congregation, and he would preach in the midst of the people so that they could hear the message clearly that Jesus is coming soon. And here we are again tonight having a similar experience. Now, here's what happened. 1843 came and went, obviously, and Jesus didn't come. We're still here in 2010. So Jesus didn't come. And that led to what was called the early disappointment, and it led to some confusion among the Millerites. They were not sure what had happened. How come Jesus hasn't come? And this is where I bring you to the story of the midnight cry. Because up until July and August of 1844, the Millerites just expected that Jesus would come sometime in 1843. But in 1844, as the year was going on, they were like, wow, Jesus hasn't come, and we don't know why, and we can't explain it. God sent a preacher to the movement by the name of Samuel S. Snow. How many of you have ever heard that name? And Samuel S. Snow came to a Millerite camp meeting in Exeter, New Hampshire, on August 12, 1844. That's an interesting date for me. I got married on that day a few years after 1844. <clears throat> but on August 12, 1844, <clears throat> something very interesting happened. Joseph Bates, one of the leading Millerite preachers, was preaching a sermon to the Millerites who were at a camp meeting talking about how Jesus would be coming soon. But it wasn't doing anything for the people because they had heard this type of sermon many times before and they were in this period where they didn't have any clear understanding as to what really was going to happen at the end of the 2300 days. Samuel Snow had been studying the prophecies and he came to an understanding. So he comes in on horseback to this camp meeting and when he gets to the camp meeting he sees Brother Bates up on the platform preaching the same old thing and Brother Snow comes to the front of the tent where the meeting was taking place and he sat down next to his sister on the front row and he said to her, I have new light about the second coming of Jesus. And she stood up, and can you imagine this? She stood up and said, Brother Bates, sit down. We have a man with new light here. And Brother Bates sat down and Samuel Snow got up to preach. This was August 12, 1844. And this is what Samuel Snow said. If you study the prophecies, Jesus died as the Passover lamb on the very day of Passover. 
he was the unleavened bread with his body broken over the Sabbath hours on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and he was resurrected as the wave sheaf offering on resurrection morning, and type met antitype perfectly in each of those instances. And those were the spring festivals of the Jewish ceremonial system. But the 2300-day prophecy pointed to the cleansing of the sanctuary, which pointed to the anti-typical Day of Atonement, and based on his study of the calendar that year, that prophecy of the 2300 days would reach its fulfillment on October 22, 1844. Now, here was the significance to this message. This was two months and ten days before October 22. And at that moment, the crowd became electrified, and it wasn't like they started jumping up and dancing. It became hushed silence. People came to the realization, this is the message. This is true. Jesus is coming in two months and ten days. Am I ready to meet him? Now, what if you were to know right now that Jesus is coming in two months and ten days. Are you ready for Jesus to come? Have you given everything in your life to him? Have you surrendered completely to Jesus? Because the Millerites, when they heard this message, excitement hit the ranks, and this is known as the midnight cry, because up until that time, they had been preaching the coming of Christ, but when a specific date was set for the coming of Jesus. This is what is known as the midnight cry of the Millerite movement. It's also known as the seventh month movement. And if you look back on it, historians say this message hit the Millerite movement like a tornado. Now think about this. Do we have the fervor, intensity, and zeal of the Millerites in looking for and longing for the coming of Jesus Christ in the clouds of heaven? Do we want him to come back in two months and ten days? Or would that be a serious inconvenience to our lives? God, wait a minute, and we don't say this out loud, but we say it in our minds to nobody else. I want to finish school first. I want to get married first. I want to have a family first. I want to grow up first. Please, Lord, not quite yet. I love you, but please wait to come back just a little bit longer. But you know, the Millerite movement, when they got this message, every single one of the people who had accepted this message, they hit New England like wildfire, like a tornado. And they told everyone they knew, Jesus is coming in two months. Get ready, get ready, get ready. And that is the kind of experience that we need in our time. Now, we know what happened. October 22 came and went, and Jesus didn't come. Let me read to you the experience of Hiram Edson, who went through that disappointment. He says, We confidently expected to see Jesus Christ and all the holy angels with him, and that his voice would call up Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the ancient worthies, and near and dear friends, which had been torn from us by death. Our expectations were raised high, and thus we looked for our coming Lord, until the clock told twelve at midnight. 
The day had then passed and our disappointment became a certainty. Our fondest hopes and expectations were blasted and such a spirit of weeping came over us as I never experienced before. We wept and wept till the day dawned. Can you imagine crying all night because Jesus didn't come? Now notice what Ellen White says of this movement that took place between August and October of 1844. She says, Of all the great religious movements since the days of the apostles, none have been more free from human imperfection and the wiles of Satan than was that of the autumn of 1844. Even now, after the lapse of many years, all who shared in the movement and have who have stood firm upon the platform of truth still feel that holy influence of that blessed work and bear witness that it was of God. And you know, it's, it's interesting. In Ellen White's first vision, you remember that vision she had of the straight and narrow pathway leading to heaven? Notice what she said. I raised my eyes, and this is early writings, page 14. I raised my eyes and saw a straight and narrow path cast up high above the world. On this path, the Advent people were traveling to the city. Are we the Advent people traveling to the city? And she says that the city was at the farther end of the path. They had a bright light set up behind them at the beginning of the path. Do you know what that light is? It says, the angel told me this light was the midnight cry. This light shone all along the path and gave light for their feet so that they might not stumble. Now notice this. This is Ellen White's first vision as a prophet. And she is shown in vision that the light at the beginning of the pathway of the Advent people is the light of the midnight cry. And that's why I am talking about that tonight, because it is that light that shines the light on our pathway all the way to heaven. And we want to be ready to meet Jesus in the clouds. And here's what that is telling us. If you want to be ready to meet Jesus in the clouds, we need to have an understanding of the experience of the Millerites so that we can have their experience before Jesus comes. Because I can guarantee you, Jesus is not going to come back for a group of people that are more lazy in their Christian experience than the Millerites. There is no way. Jesus is going to come back for a group of people who are at least as intense, if not more so, than the Millerite people. That is the light at the beginning of the pathway. And what light do we find in that Millerite experience? The light that we find in the Millerite experience is that these people loved Jesus so much that they gave up everything to proclaim his soon return. It wasn't just a doctrine that Jesus is coming back. You know, there's a big difference about talking about the coming of Jesus Christ and longing for the coming of Jesus Christ. And God is looking for a people today who long for the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, I mentioned that we are going to we we're talking about the midnight cry and the loud cry. This is the midnight cry that we have talked about. What we want to see is how does this parallel with a loud cry? It's interesting. Ellen White says in Review and Herald, August 19, 1890, speaking of the parable of the bridegroom, which describes the midnight cry where it says, 
it says, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go you out to meet him. And right before that it says, At midnight a cry was made. She says, This parable has been and will be fulfilled to the very letter. Did you realize that the parable of the bridegroom and of the ten virgins was fulfilled in the Millerite movement and will be fulfilled again in God's last day people? But you know what? There's going to be one difference between the fulfillment of the parable. With the Millerites, the midnight cry led them to the great disappointment. But you, do you know what the loud cry will lead God's last day people to? It leads them to triumph and the second coming. And that is what we are here for. We are here as a people to see that fulfillment. So let me just take you to a prophetic description of the loud cry found in Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power. And the earth was lightened with his glory. Can you imagine the power of the gospel lightening the whole earth? But that is what is going to happen with a loud cry. Notice what Ellen White says about this loud cry. She says in early, or sorry, in Testimonies, Volume 5, page 252, the power which stirred the people so mightily in the 1844 movement will again be revealed. The third angel's message will go forth, not in whispered tones, but with a loud voice. Are you giving the third angel's message with a loud voice? Are you sharing it with a loud voice with your friends? We are not to be ashamed of the three angels' messages. We are not going to give it in whispered tones. We are going to give it in a loud voice. And she says in early writings, page 278, I saw that the third angel's message will close with power and strength, far exceeding the midnight cry. Now realize the midnight cry was so powerful that out of 17 million people in the United States, at least 50,000 people had accepted it. That's a high percentage. And the, mid, the loud cry will exceed this ex by a great degree. She says, far exceeding the midnight cry. So what's the issue? Why is it? that here we are in 2010, and I've, I'm losing count. I, I used to say this all the time. I think we're 166 years now, 166 years after 1844. You know, what we need is a revival of true godliness. This is what Ellen White says in First Elected Messages, page 121. A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our first work. Are we seeking revival of true godliness in our lives as our first work? Because when God's people are revived, then he will be able to use us with great power. And this is a quote from Great Controversy, page 464, which to me is absolutely powerful here she says before the final visitation of god's judgments upon the earth and that's still in the future we have not seen 
God's final visitation of judgments upon the earth true? Before the final visitation of God's judgments upon the earth, there will be among the people of the Lord such a revival of primitive godliness as has not been witnessed since apostolic times. The spirit and power of God will be poured out upon his children. Do you want to be part of that revival of primitive godliness that has not been witnessed since the time of the apostles? Notice, she said in Great Controversy, page 401, that the midnight cry of 1844, that there had not been seen anything like that since the days of the, the apostles. But she's saying, in the future, before the final judgments of the Lord upon the earth, there will be a revival of godliness among the people such as not been witnessed since apostolic times. And I am telling you tonight that God has brought us here this weekend to challenge our hearts to have that kind of a revival. We are here not to play games with God. We are here to surrender our lives completely to Jesus Christ. Jesus is longing to come back in the clouds of heaven for his people. And God wants to do something great here in Trinidad. Amen? God has brought us from all over Trinidad and Tobago to bring revival and reformation so that the spirit and power of God will be poured out in this country in a way that we have never seen, despite the power that has been here, in a way that has yet to be seen. Because as good as things may have been, we have not come close to the revival of primitive godliness since has been witnessed since apostolic times. That is what we are waiting for before Jesus comes. God is waiting to pour out Holy Spirit power known as the latter rain so the loud cry can go to the whole earth so that the earth will be lightened with the glory of God so that Jesus can come back in the clouds of heaven. Now, if it's really true that the final visitations of God's judgment are still future. And if it's really true that there will be a revival of primitive godliness such as not been witnessed since apostolic times, did you realize that God brought you, each one of you, into this world to be his people that experienced that revival? And that is why we are here this weekend. You know, when we have these kind of weekends, these are the kind of weekends where something special can take place with God. And we're going to be here together all week, weekend, the whole weekend. And this is going to be a time to really consecrate our lives to God. When we have our conversations with our friends and family, that we're talking about the messages we've heard, not about the jokes of the world and this, that, and the other thing the cares of this life. Our mind this weekend is going to be set on heaven so that when Jesus comes back, we'll be going to where we already belong. Do you know that we are pilgrims and strangers on this earth? And you can tell if you are really a pilgrim and stranger by the way we live our lives. Because if we live as if we belong here on this earth, we aren't really pilgrims and strangers. And Yet if we are seeking a better country, the heavenly country, we will be living as if we already live in heaven. So our free time will be taken up doing the things of God. 
We won't be doing the things of the world in our free time and just doing check work, you know, checking off a checklist to serve God. God wants people who serve him completely out of love. Now, here's how I'm going to close. I will close with an illustration here. Last year, my wife, Joelle, who's sitting on the front row, you can't see her, but she's there. Last year, while we were still in Loma Linda, California, um, she had the opportunity to go to Brazil to do a three-week evangelistic series to win souls for Christ. And although I didn't want to be apart from her for that long, it was too good of an opportunity for her to pass up to go win souls for God. So she went, and I was by myself for three weeks. And um, I can tell you, I can guarantee you, especially with the kind of food I had to eat while she was gone, uh, (laughs) that I was counting the days down till she would come back. Because on the, in this earth, she's my best friend. In, in, as a human being, she's my best friend. Now, nobody is closer or should be closer to us than God. But humanly speaking, she's my best friend. So I could not wait for her to come back. I was looking forward to it so much. And in fact, so much so that I took half a day off from work because she flew back in and on a morning and I took the morning off from work so I could be the one to pick her up from the airport, and I was able to surprise her because she thought I would be working and someone else would pick her up. And we were so happy after the three weeks to be together again. Now, let's make this real here. Let's make this real. How many of you are counting the days down until Jesus comes back? How many of you love Jesus so much that you can't stand the thought of another year going by where his coming is delayed yet again. And yet, I can speak from my own heart. When I was growing, I'm 33 now, so I'm not terribly old, but I'm not a teenager anymore. But when I was a teenager, I had the thoughts I mentioned earlier. Lord, I want you to come, but I want to finish university first, and I want to become a doctor first, and I want to get married first, because... I, you know, I want to see what this life is like first, and then you can come. But you know what? I can guarantee you the Millerites, they did not feel that way. And you know the people that Jesus is, going, is coming back for are the ones who love his appearing. That's Titus 2. Do we love the thought of Jesus coming in the clouds? Can you imagine what it would be like to be here at Belandra looking over the ocean as the eastern sky opens up with Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven? And you know, that's what we are here for. As Seventh-day Adventists, we are not here for any other reason than to proclaim the coming of Christ and to prepare people for him to come so that we can hasten his return. That's what we're here for. We are not here for anything else. And I challenge you tonight. Think about your heart right now. Do you want Jesus to come back? Do you want him to come back next month or next week or in the next year or two? Or would that be a a major inconvenience to your life plans? You know, God is about to do something to wrap this work up. I believe that with all my heart. He is going to wrap this work up. He's going to finish the work and cut it short in righteousness. 
And when I see what is happening in the church, my heart was thrilled through and through when I heard our new general conference president preach the sermon that he did just a few weeks ago to, to, to come in as our new president. And we need to go forward in faith, longing in our hearts to see Jesus come in, in the clouds. And so I ask you now, are you ready for Jesus to come? Do you want him to come back with all of your heart? Or, or are there things you are hanging on to in your, into, in your life that you know are preventing you from being the complete witness as an Adonis that you can be for Christ to prepare people for his return? And I know it's dark, and I know that it's hard to see, but I'm going to make an appeal right now. Some of you who are here tonight... You didn't know what to expect when you came here this weekend. And as you came here this evening, you've heard a message that makes it clear that the future of this church is a revival of primitive godliness that has not been witnessed since the time of the apostles. And we will get, if we are faithful, we can see the greatest manifestation of the power of God that has ever been seen on this earth. Why would you not want to be part of that? And you realize that in your life right now, as you've come up here this weekend, there are things in your life that you need to surrender to the Lord so that God can speak to you in a powerful way the rest of the weekend so that you can be prepared mentally, physically, and spiritually to be a witness for Christ to prepare others for his coming. And if there are those of you in the audience who want to surrender all to Jesus Christ and to say, Lord, I'm tired of playing games with you. I'm tired of acting like I'm a, a Christian, acting like I'm an Adventist, but in reality, I know that my life is of the world. And I want to give my life completely to Christ so that I will be a faithful Adventist, helping people to be prepared for the coming of Christ. If you want that experience, I invite you to come up to the front, and I'm going to have a special prayer. For, for all of you who come to the front. You want to have an experience with God this weekend that is going to change your life forever so that you will be a faithful Adventist proclaiming the message of the soon coming of Christ to prepare people for the coming of Christ. We don't have much time. This may be our last opportunity to be ready to meet Jesus. And the Lord in his great mercy has given us as much time as he has. And so I invite you to come. Come to the front. Come up to have a special prayer that the Lord will work in a powerful way. Amen. Come to the front so that the Lord can pour out his power upon us so that we will have an experience that will exceed the Millerite movement, that will exceed the, the Holy Spirit power that they had so that we will have power that will change Trinidad and Tobago. There are so many people in our country here who still haven't heard this message. So come to the front, and I will continue to give you time to come. We are going to have a prayer of consecration to pray that God will use each one of us. And whatever it is in our lives that we are holding back, we are going to surrender it to the Lord by his grace and power so that he can bring revival and reformation to our lives and that we will be open to the messages we hear this weekend so that as the Lord convicts us, 
of things in our lives, we will surrender them as he reveals them to us. I really believe that the Holy Spirit has been with us tonight. Amen. Amen. And he has a great plan for each one of us. And I'm so thankful to see so many of you who are wanting to consecrate your lives completely to the Lord. At this time, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, you are an awesome God. You sent Jesus to die for our sins. And we don't even deserve it. And yet, here we are, as a people, 166 years after you entered in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, and you still haven't returned yet. And Lord, we want to commit our lives right now, 100% to you. We're tired of playing games. We want to be fully consecrated and committed to you. We want to be powerful witnesses for the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives that changes us into the likeness of Christ. We want to be like Jesus and to share the love of Christ with the world around us so that as the Holy Spirit is poured out in latter rain power, we will, without shame, proclaim the three angels' messages to all around us, the way the Millerites, without shame, proclaimed the soon coming of Christ in 1844. Lord, we realize we need to have an experience that far exceeds their experience. We need to have a faith that far exceeds their faith experience. And Lord, I thank you for the challenges that you gave us this evening in how the devil tried to throw roadblocks into this meeting this evening, and yet you have been victorious. You have used this as a witness and demonstration of your power, that you are more powerful and you are more mighty than the devil. So please help us to not let the devil come into our thoughts and minds to make us think, oh, it was just a one-time commitment tonight. That wasn't too serious. You know, we can just kind of play a little longer and then maybe we can be serious with the Lord later on. No, help us to be a serious firm commitment that will be forever and that we will be faithful to you each and every day. Lord, I thank you for how you are convicting hearts. Please, please help us to stay faithful to you and I pray that as we hear the messages throughout the rest of this weekend, we will surrender our lives to you more and more and more so that you can fill us with latter rain power just before Jesus comes. And Lord, please, may Jesus come soon. We want to see him. We love him. And we want him soon. We're tired of this old world. And may Jesus come back to take us home. And may we be ready. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.